Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Clear Creek. If you will, grab a seat and grab your Bible. Man, it's good to see you all this morning. Now, a couple of our sections are a little lighter this morning. Have no fear. We didn't have a mass exodus. We just had Bible camp this week. By the way, any parents in here with kids at Bible camp? Any of your kids here? Hey, can we just... That is the goodness of God right there, isn't it? Like 48 hours, 72 hours, all by yourself. It's fantastic. So, oh, it's good. That time of praise blessed my heart. Sean Alex team, thank you so much. What a gift um, to be able to celebrate Jesus together. Uh, Do you understand we serve a good God, but we also are in a body that embraces the praise of God. Uh, Not every congregation, and this isn't a value statement, but not every congregation embraces what we get to do here on Sunday. And I I just want to say this to some of you. Um, When you come, come with the reality that this is a unique experience that we get to have. So please don't just mail it in. Be a part of what is going on here. This is one of those beautiful moments that we get to taste just a little bit of a snapshot, just a, just a little flavor, if you will, of what it will be like in heaven one day. And so let's practice now. So when we see our King face to face, we've got something to share. Amen? Amen. Oh man, thank you. Thank you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers. Welcome to Clear Creek. We're glad that you're here today. If you're a guest, please stick around. I'll be out at the next step table afterward. Love to say hi to you. And uh, we'd love just to help you get connected here, whether you've been here for a few weeks, this is your first Sunday, or maybe you've been here a long time, you've just never taken the step. We'd love to help you with that. Now, next Sunday is going to be Mission Sunday. We're going to see some uh, videos from some of our missionaries. We're going to hear about some of the work going on around the world and how what you're giving and how you're participating is really having an impact. Which means today is the last day in our Summer in the Psalms series. Now... We've spent nine weeks, nine Sundays in the Psalms, and I don't know about you, but there's 150 of them. We've touched on nine of them here, or will after today, and there's so many good ones. In fact, as I was going through, Psalm 139 is one of my all-time favorites where it talks about how you can't go anywhere where the Lord isn't already. And then 147 is a beautiful psalm that just yesterday I was reading, and there's so many more. I wish we could just kind of take time to go through all of them, and you're like, man, that'd be 141 more Sundays, Digs. I think we'd get tired of it. I know. That's why we're only doing nine. We'll come back to it at some point. But in this time, we've really looked at who we are, and the songs of the psalms are a statement of followers of Jesus of God in the times when things are tough, when things are good, it's, it's just an expression of the heart of humanity. And it really reveals for us what it means to be human in a broken world. And yet having a good God in spite of it all. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not asking you, do not raise your hand. But if I were to ask you to raise your hand, would you be able to raise your hand and say, yes, I remember exactly what we talked about on week one, Right. Or what if I said, what about week three? Do you guys remember all the details of week three? And, or what about week seven? Week seven was great. You remember that one? Or, and some of you would be like, oh yeah, I remember parts. But if you're like me, things after about a couple hours, I forget. Anyone else have sort of a, a memory you wish was better? Um, all this information is available to us. And yet I just have a hard time keeping it between my ears. And if you're anything like me, I want to help you out this morning. Because we're going to look at a psalm. That if you'll give me about one or two minutes of your time, I'm going to teach you and you will learn half of this one psalm. And you'll be able to repeat half of this 26-verse psalm any time of day, any time of night, anywhere, anything. You'll be able to. 
Do you believe that's possible? Because we're going to try it out here in just a second. But I want to take you to a beautiful song of praise. It's often called the Great Hallel Psalm. The word Hallel is just a Hebrew word for praise. It's a great praise song to God. And so we're going to practice this. We're going to learn it together. We're also going to learn the 50% that you can remember anywhere where you are. So if you will, stand with me. We're going to read this. And I'm going to ask you actually to join me in reading it. You get the yellow part. I think you can see how you might be able to memorize 50% of this psalm, don't you? Here we go. I'll read the white and then you read the yellow out loud and proud. Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Uh, You better not be getting tired. We got another 21 verses. Let's go. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it. Congrats, you're over halfway. Let's keep going. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And one of the greatest names in all the Bible. And Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate. Time out. Is that good news that he remembers you in your low estate? And he freed us from our enemies. Two more verses, loud and proud. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. You've now learned half of a psalm. But all of God's heart. Let's pray together. Teach us, Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear how this one phrase is the heart of, it's just your heart. And it's the heart that you have for every person. I pray for those who come in today in a low estate, may they be encouraged. And for those who are on top of the world, may they know the one to whom to give praise. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all those who agreed said, you may be seated. Ah. His love endures forever. 
That psalm was a call and response song long before today. In fact, throughout Israel's history, if you read in the Old Testament, this psalm, Psalm 136, the great Hallel, was used repeatedly in moments of great triumph, in moments of great celebration, where one would say the first line and the people would respond, his love endures forever. So when the priests were being given their responsibilities in David's kingdom, they sang this psalm in First Chronicles 16. It was sung when the Israelites dedicated Solomon's temple in Second Corinthians 5. It was also sung when the Israelites faced off against the Ammonite nations in 2 Corinthians 20. They sang this song. Interestingly enough, when they saw the larger force arrayed against them, the king didn't say, let's get other allies. He said, let's send the worshipers, the praise team, the musicians out in front of the army. And they sang Psalm 136 because they knew what most of us Americans have forgotten. That victory does not come from bigger armies. It comes from a bigger view of a good God. And so they sang this call and response. And throughout it, laced between the response are the examples of how we know that his love endures forever. In fact, did you notice all the different titles that we see revealed of God in this psalm? Let me just walk you through these seven very quickly. The Lord is, in verse 1, good. Remember, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That word good is so very important, but I think the word is may be more important. Here's why. The psalmist doesn't simply say that the Lord does good or thinks good. He says the Lord is good. God is the definition of what good is. If you were to open the dictionary, like in the old days where you had the paper ones, you remember some entries would have a picture next to that entry? So you look up dog, and right there next to the definition of dog is a picture of a dog. The psalmist is saying, if you were to open the dictionary of the cosmos to look up what the word good means, you'd see a picture of God next to it. He is the definition of good. So in our world, when people say, well, what is good? What is evil? Very simply put, good is God. You're comparing anything on earth against that. And a world that forgets a concrete, universally true definition of what is good will be a world that will fall for anything as good and end up with a whole lot of bad. He is good. And then the second one is he's not simply good. He is the God of gods. Verse 2 and 3, he's above all of the other gods. Now, I know in America we don't worship false gods. We don't worship Baal or Ashtoreth. Now, Never mind the fact that we do worship sexuality and we do worship autonomy and we do worship the almighty dollar. But don't get me wrong. Of course, we don't worship gods. Ha. He is still the God over every other God we may bow to. The one above all others. And in verse 4 through 9, he then explains he's not simply a God who's out there, but he's the God who enters into culture, into the world. He, in fact, created everything. Did you get that? He stretched out the heavens and he laid out the earth amidst the seas. His love endures forever. He put up the sun, the moon, and the stars. Why? His love endures forever. Why is it that there is a sunrise? This morning, when you woke up and the sun came up, why? His love endures forever. 
The reason you and I have the eyes to see the beauty of the night sky is because his love endures forever. The reason that the earth is where the earth is at the distance from the sun that it is where you don't burn and don't freeze is because God's love endures forever. In other words, whether you love Jesus or decry him, his love endures and we enjoy the common grace to all. He is this great big good God and the author is simply saying in the most mundane moments of waking up and seeing the sunrise is a moment to say, yea God, your love endures forever. And then he goes on, he begins to now recount the unique history of Israel. God is the universal creator, but he uniquely brought out Israel from Egyptian bondage. You remember the story. There's a family that goes down into Egypt because of a great famine. This is the family of Jacob, and he has 12 sons. Joseph is one of them, and there in Egypt, they become a great nation, so much so that Pharaoh gets a little nervous. He looks around and says, the numbers don't look good. Let's enslave them. And so the people of Israel become slaves working for the taskmasters of Egypt, and they cry out. And God, with an outstretched arm, rescues them. He saves them from Pharaoh. That's the next one here. He's the Savior, verse 10 through 16. He brings them out of Egypt. And so they now say his love endures forever. When we were slaves, he was the Savior. And then they travel through the Red Sea into the wilderness. And then from the wilderness into what would be their future home. Problem is, it was already inhabited by a wicked people. People who had sacrificed their children on flaming altars. And they were much bigger armies, more powerful. And the people of Israel, you got to remember, they have been slaves for generations. They're not warriors. They don't have swords and spears. They have sticks and they have hoes. They don't have anything else. They don't have weapons. What are they going to do? God steps in. He doesn't simply save, but he is also, verse 17 through 22, the victor, the one who brings the victory in this new home. Why? Because his love endures forever. And then there's this beautiful little promise for everyone who's ever lived through the low points of life. He meets us in our lowest state. He is the friend when we are in need. Verse 23 through 25, which shows us when he feeds every living creature that his love really does endure forever. And at the end of the end, the final statement in this series we're going to look at, you see in verse 26 that he's the God of heaven. He is the God over all things. He's above all things. Verse 26, he's the God of heaven. Because love endures forever, we have solace in that. Because here's the thing, if he was just God, but he wasn't good, that would not be any solace, would it? Come on, how many of us know that if God was not good, we'd be in trouble? But it's because he's good and because he's over all things, there is no one who can take control from him. There is no force bigger than him Which means that when he says, my love will endure forever, he means it and no one can change it. Now this is about the part of the message that a lot of us would say, okay, that's very nice. I've got my seven points. God is good. God of gods. I've got all the points, Josh. So what? Come on, our kids are on the way back. I'd really like to sneak off before they arrive. Maybe someone else will take them home for me from camp. That'd be great. So what does this have to do with me? Why are we talking about this? This is the big question, why? What does it have to do with me? In fact, some of us, I think, would be remiss, but we would understand it, that we might see this as just an Israel thing. After all, it's Old Testament. Old Testament doesn't apply to us, church, right? Wrong. 
Every letter of the sacred text from Genesis to Revelation is a gift from God to us. And here is why I know this applies to you and me. And in fact, the reason this is so important, this will bring peace. It will bring confidence and courage as you meet your day tomorrow. And if not you, it will bring peace, confidence, and courage to those you know who need it tomorrow. And it all comes from this one little word. His love endures, next slide, forever. Forever. For Israel, thousands of years ago, it was true, but forever doesn't stop with Israel. Forever goes on forever. In fact, I looked up the Hebrew word forever. Do you want to know what the actual definition of forever is? Forever. You're welcome. There is no end. His love started. Wait, how does it start if there's no beginning or end? It just has been. And, and it'll go on until, wait, there is no until because it just goes on forever. In other words, there has never been a moment where you and I were not soaking in the love of God. In fact, it's not just generic love, but notice the phrase, it's enduring. It's a love that endures. The Hebrew word, we looked at this about a month and a half ago, but let's go a little deeper today. The Hebrew word for this enduring love is the Hebrew word chesed, chesed. Now, because I don't want to be the only one hawking around here, let's just practice this together. Together Now, the way to do it is a little, okay, chesed, right? If you feel like you got a little coffee or a little something still up in there, just put your hand in front of your mouth. We're going to do this on the count of three. Are you ready? We're going to do chesed on three. One, two, three, chesed. Very good. Don't you feel better now? I refer you back to the allergy medicine conversation earlier. This word hesed is one of these words that doesn't translate very well. In fact, it's a really hard word to translate because it's a lot of ideas wrapped all up into one little word. This one word summarizes all of the big attributes of God in the Hebrew mind. This one word refers to a number of different things such as love, grace, mercy, kindness, compassion, patience, and devotion. This is why in different translations of your Bible, you may see a different translation. It may not be his love endures. It may be his steadfast love or his loyal love. In fact, here are some other definitions. It's loving kindness. It's covenant love. It's steadfast love, commitment, loyal love, reliability, mercy. By the way, how many of you grew up in the 80s and went to church camp and you know the song, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Anyone know what I'm singing about here? Yeah, a bunch of gray hairs with me. Okay. That is Lamentation 3, and that is also chesed. It is steadfast. It is loyal. It is ongoing. And you say, how? So so if it has all these different meanings, how do we kind of wrap our arms around it? One of my favorite definitions actually comes from one of our favorite Bible storybooks as a family. Many of you probably have this one. There's this great um, Bible storybook called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And what I love about it, if you're a new parent, get this Bible for your kids. Once they're about three or four, it's a great book to read. Because every story from Genesis to the end always points to Jesus. So Noah, Jesus, Moses, Jesus, David, Jesus, it all points to Jesus. But I love this. When trying to express the chesed love of God in that wonderful storybook, it always uses this repeating phrase to describe that his love endures forever. And it's simply this. Chesed, his love is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is what is being described in this verse. 
His love endures forever. It's never stopping, never giving up. You say, yeah, but I failed. Guess what? His hesed goes on forever and ever and ever. For me, that's good news. I hope for you as well. There's a lot of other ways maybe to, to describe or define it. Let me, let me do it this way. Hesed. Um, it's the character of God. It's an immutable characteristic. We might call it part of his integrity. You say integrity. Yeah. You know the word integrity? has the same root word, or comes from the same root word as the mathematical term integer. You know what an integer is, math majors? An integer is any whole number, including negatives, but it's any whole number. In other words, for it to be an integer, it cannot be divided. It is whole. Integrity is being whole. For God to be God, to be the God that we read about in Scripture, this is who he is. His love, his hesed goes on and on and on. For it to do any other would mean that he was no longer God. He is no longer who he says he is. I love what one rabbi says. He says maybe the best translation is covenant love. And one of the reasons that's valuable is because in, in our culture, when we think of love, what do we think of? We think of hearts. We think of chocolates, maybe a certain time of year, or we think of flowers. In other words, we think of emotion. And he says that's far too flimsy of an understanding. But then when we think of covenant, sometimes we think of law, we think of rigidity, we think of responsibility or duty. He says, no, it's these two things together. What does it mean for this to be a covenant love? You understand there's a difference between a covenant and a contract, right? In our culture, we do contracts. We don't do covenants. A contract, very simple. Party A agrees to do X, so long as party B agrees to do Y. Now, if party B stops doing Y, then party A is no longer responsible for doing X. In other words, I will do my part so long as you do your part. But if you don't do your part, I'm not responsible anymore. Quick time out here. I'm afraid that even in the Lord's church, too many of us husbands and wives are living contract marriages, not covenant marriages. If I do this, you will do that. And if you stop doing that, then I'll stop doing this. Friend, that is not what you signed up for in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. It's covenant. I'm in it, period, for you. Not because of what you do, but because this is who I am choosing to be. It's a covenant I think one of the best examples this week, I was thinking about it, was with my kids. And again, I apologize. I know I talk about my kids a lot. That's all the examples I have. I am with them all the time. Some of you say, do you like to preach? Yes, because I'm not with them in these few minutes on Sunday morning. Not entirely true. Before we had any kids, I'd been praying, God, you know, I'd love to be a daddy someday. Would you make me a daddy? And I thought I'd want a boy first. And I had a boy, and then I was like, oh, I really want a girl. And so I prayed for a girl. And so before Emma was born, I love Stephen and Emma. They're both great kids. But before Emma was born, I was praying, God, I just, I'd love to be a daddy of a little girl. Could I have a little girl? Please let me have a little girl. And I remember when Lindsay said, hey, I got something I want to tell you. Great. What is it, baby? She goes, well, it's sitting on the tank of the toilet. It's back there. I'm like, what do you want to tell me exactly here? I walk in, I pick it up, and it's one of those little sticks. You know the little stick, the one that says your life is about to change forever? You know the one I'm talking about has the little lines on it? 
And so then we began to go, oh, thank you, God. I'm going to be a parent. And then we find out, yes, it's going to be a little girl. And so now, before she's born, before I knew I was going to have her, I loved her. God, give me a daughter. I'll love her. I'll love her. And then I have a little girl. And, and we're pregnant. It's like, oh, I say we. She was pregnant. I love her even before Emma's born. And then she's born, and I love her. And all she can do is cry and coo. She can do nothing, but I love her. That's the most human accurate way I know to describe chesed. As a parent and a child that says, you can't do anything for me, but I choose to love you. And the incredible promise, 26 times, this passage says that the chesed of God will never end. Do you understand that God is locked into you? Not because of your goodness. Friends, we are a mess. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? And yet he says, I love you. You, my love endures forever. See, the reason I think this is hard is sometimes things don't go our way and we assume that means God's not with us. I don't know if this is your life, maybe it's just mine, but when I think of life, when I thought of life, I kind of had an idealized version of how life would go. Let me show you a graph of what I thought life was going to be like. Anyone else know that this is like we expect progress is this, you know, going up and over time? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to work really hard in high school. And maybe you had this idea as well, right? So we're going to go work real hard in high school. We're going to get a great job. We're going to get the perfect dream spouse. We're going to have a dream home in a dream neighborhood with dream friends. And we're going to have dream kids. Or maybe you're not a kid person. So we're going to have dream dogs and dream cats who only go pitter-patter on the little pitter-patter things. Here's the only problem with this dream. It's a dream. You live more than five minutes and you realize this is not reality. And what ends up happening? What ends up happening is you begin to assume God's love has failed because your dream has not come true. Friend, because you had a dream, don't expect God to respond to the dream you had. Life isn't like this at all. In fact, life is more like this next slide, isn't it? I'm not sure what this looks like more. Maybe... The stock market or gas prices over the past few years is like, man, I'm going to have to get a double mortgage for this one right here. Oh, good, I can afford it. Don't have to sell a child. Okay, I think we're good for another gallon or two. But isn't this true what life is like? We come into the days and we're like, oh, high points. Life is great. Next morning, no, something happens. And it's in the low points that we often begin to question, is his love for real or did it run out? Is God's chesed just a hype for all of us or is it the real deal? Because I don't feel it. And then the problem is, it's not just that this happens, but then we experience the emotional trauma, the psychological issues of going through the highs and the lows. So not only do you go through these things, but then this is what it actually feels like. You go, oh my goodness, I may be here, I may be, what is going on? This is what it feels like. And it can be easy to begin to feel that God is not with you, that God does not love you, that God does not care. And we begin to believe the lie that his chesed does not endure forever. But did you notice the text? Why in the world does Israel need a savior? Because they were enslaved. And yet... The chesed of God was close enough to hear the cries of his people so that even in the low moments, he was there. Why is it that the chesed of God was able to be a victor? It's because they experienced 
opposition. It's not a bug, it's a feature of this world. Our world is broken. Expect the highs and lows. The reason that he saved is because they had been slaves. The reason that he was able to deliver was because they had been attacked. Are you getting this? The problem does not say God doesn't love you. Rather, it's as God delivers you through it, you see that he loves you, that he is present. In fact, maybe this is the best picture to show what I'm talking about here. It's this last slide. Wherever you are, the hesed of God is already there. It's like the duck saying to the fish, hey, great swimming weather today. Don't you just love the water? And the fish looks at the duck and says, what is water? It is so much a part of what he swims in, doesn't even recognize its presence. What is the hesed of God? The hesed of God is that you woke up this morning and the sun is shining. The hesed of God is that you didn't think you could hang on till this moment, and yet here you are. The hesed of God is that moment when you hold your baby in your arms for the first time. You're like, yay, God is so good, yes. The hesed of God is also with you in the moment where you're told you can never have kids. The hesed of God is in the moment where you have that celebration of 50 years of marriage. And it's in the moment where you say goodbye to your loved one. The hesed of God is not dependent on circumstance. His love endures forever. You mean when I was right here, his love was there? Yes. You mean when I'm up here, his love is here? Yes. The hesed of God goes throughout your life. It has always been and it will always be. It is almost like, well, it's almost like that cliched poem. It used to not be a cliche, but everyone has heard it now. So you think, oh, it's a cliche, but it's a beautiful statement of the hesed of God. It's the footprints in the sand. Have you heard the poem? Some of you have this framed on the wall behind your commode, which is a weird place to put this. I'm just going to say that. But the footprints of God is written in the 1930s. The lady who wrote it lost the paper that it was on, but found it again in the 1980s, and it became a very popular poem. But this is a picture of the Hesed of God where it says simply this. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed that that as he walked along the beach with the Lord, across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at that very lowest and saddest times in his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was there that I carried you. Why? Because his love endures forever. Where are you this morning? Do you know that his love endures in this very moment for you? 
when you thought he left you, do you understand his love was there? So what do we do when we know that God's love will endure forever? Well, we do what the psalmist said to do in verse 1. Two little words at the very beginning. Give thanks. Give thanks. In all things, give thanks. As Paul said, he is convinced that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now we give thanks. In the high of highs, yes, we give thanks. In the low of lows, we say, you have not abandoned me. We give thanks in all things and in all places we give thanks. Why? Because his love endures forever. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to consider for just a moment what does it mean to give thanks for his love right now. For some of you, you are on the mountaintop, and it's easy for you to recount what God has done for you. You're thinking about the loved one that has meant so much to you and what a gift they've been this week, or the child, or that friend. You're thinking about the way that business is going. Or the health report that came back in all the right ways. Give thanks for his love endures forever. But for others in here, I know you are just hanging on by the skin of your teeth. And you don't know how you're going to get through the next day or the next week, let alone the next year. And you're wondering, does he really love me? Friend, the fact that you are here, the fact that he died for you and has promised eternal life for you. His love endures forever. Can you give thanks for Jesus who loves you and has died for you and, yes, is now interceding for you? And for others in here, you simply need to come to that place that says, I need one who will save me. You can do that today. I'll be out at the next step table. You come find me and we will pray together and I will introduce you here and we will baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that you too may experience the eternal love of God forever and ever. But wherever you are, this is the moment now to do business with God. Father, every heart is open before you. We now proclaim your goodness, and we thank you for the chesed love that you have given us. As we close this book of Psalms, may we begin the next step of simply reciting the goodness that you have given us. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.